Glad you're with us this morning and happy Thanksgiving weekend. And I hope that the tryptophan has, has gotten out of your system by now and that you're ready to uh, be with us today. And thanks to Craig for leading today and all that have, that have been a part of our service and that we're here to worship today. And today we continue on in a series that we're in, Thoughts from the Thicket. Every year I have this opportunity that I'm so thankful for to go on a trip somewhere and then I write sermons kind of based on where I've been. And last year, you may remember, was Boston and this year was Philadelphia and sometimes it's rural and sometimes it's in the city. Well, this is about actually a time in the city bringing both places together today because when I was in Philadelphia, one of the places I went was the Museum of the American Revolution. Now, as I said last week, it don't go to Philadelphia just because of this museum, but if you're there and you like history, it is fantastic. It's new, it's only about five years old, and, and you will enjoy learning about our country there. So, while I was there, there was one specific exhibit that I, that I found extremely pertinent for today. Last week we had another one, but one extremely pertinent today... And it was all about a woman who was a slave, had been a slave, and her name is Elizabeth Freeman, and most people knew her as Mumbet, was what she went by. And Elizabeth Freeman, early in her life, born in, New, in the New York State, then moved to Massachusetts, sold and moved there. One day, her, the woman, the owner, so to speak, of Elizabeth Freeman, was uh, upset with another slave, with another servant. And she got a hot sh shovel that had been in the coals and took that shovel and was about to poke this other servant with that, or this servant with that shovel. And Elizabeth Freeman jumped in front of that shovel and it went into her arm and caused an incredible burn and gouge into her arm that was awful. A matter of fact, for the rest of her life, she never covered that arm. And the people would say, what happened to your arm? And she would say, ask the missus what happened to my arm. Because she was standing for her, for freedom. Matter of fact, she sued the state of Massachusetts for her freedom in the 1820s, and she won her freedom even back in that day. For those of us who have not been in slavery, it may be a little bit difficult or a lot difficult to understand what it would be like to be owned by someone else or something else. This was the quote that I thought was so striking that was in the museum. She said, any time while I was a slave, if one minute's freedom had been offered to me and I had been told that I must die at the end of that minute, I would have taken it just to stand one minute on God's, free, on God's earth, a free woman, I would. Wow. That is a belief that freedom is really, really important. Now, we believe in freedom. Obviously, you go to a ball game, you hear the Star-Spangled Banner. It is at that point that we talk about the land of the free, that, that people get really excited. We talk about freedom day in, day out. Whenever I was working on this sermon, I continually kept remembering that line of, of, of Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. We all know that line. And you might, if you are a moviegoer, you probably remember Mel Gibson in that movie, one of the most well-known scenes, whenever he yells, freedom, you remember that, we believe in freedom. Well, today, 
I'm not here to talk about social issues and political issues, but as I read this quote about the importance of being free, I couldn't help but think about freedom in Christ and the number of people who are unwilling or afraid to give up wherever they are right now for freedom in Jesus. People are probably driving up and down I-10 right now, not happy with their lives, frustrated with where they are, but are bound and determined that they will never be a Christian. They will never follow Jesus. And I want you to hear the phrase that I just used. They are bound. They are bound by things that they will not give up and will not follow Jesus where freedom truly is. Now that's important for us to think about today, right? Because that's what we want to be, is free in Christ. And many people search for freedom. They're searching for freedom in so many places, but few find it, as you well know. There are people this morning that, oh, they would have loved to have been here, but the headache is so bad after the weekend. And so maybe it's from alcohol, maybe it's from drugs, maybe it's from food, maybe it's from work. I mean, you just name it, there is something that is binding most of us. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's sex, maybe it's other things, maybe it's video games. I mean, it's all kinds of things that bind us and we can't get away from. We feel so stuck to whatever it is. And somehow it takes our time, it takes our money, it takes our relationships, and it always promises something better. Oh, it's going to be better if I just drink a little bit more, if I just take one more injection, if I just just gamble a little bit more. It's always going to be better. And it never quite reaches that place. It is so confusing, but isn't it the way it is that people are not willing to give up whatever it is and take advantage of what Jesus freely offers? I think about, for example, in our years in living in Brazil, we... Our apartment was nice, but the view the first few years was incredible. We looked out at the Atlantic Ocean, at the beach and at the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, you, there would be no way I could live there in the United States with what we had there for a few years before the dollar changed. We would walk down to the beach. It was five or six minutes from our house. I mean, if you wanted to go to the beach on Tuesday and stay for 45 minutes, you could do that. You didn't have to get everybody in the car and drive anywhere. You didn't have to spend the weekend. You could go for whatever you wanted to. Matter of fact, we walked on the beach up and down every single day. But one thing that was interesting there about the water is they would put in, in, the, in the water there at the shore, they'd put a sign that would be on a pole, on a white pole, and then it would have a sign. Either it would be green, and in English the word would be proper, or it would be a sign that was red, and the word in English would be improper. So either it was proper or improper, and that's in the water. So you can probably figure that out too right away, that the water that has a green sign means swim here. It's safe. The water's safe. They tested it for contaminants or whatever. It's safe. But if the sign is red, don't get in that water, right? Because it could be bad. You could die from that. So the beach is free. Anybody, anytime can go to the beach. It doesn't matter where you're from, what language you speak, what race you are, whatever. It's all free. But I was always overwhelmed that at the sign that was red, that was improper, dangerous water because of contaminants, there would always be, it seemed like, always a group of poor children swimming in that water. Well, along with adults as well, but, but they would always be in that water. 
And I'd always think, why in the world? Because it's made so you don't have to be there. Anybody can go to the clean water if they want to. You don't have to be in the dirty water. Why would you do that? And I'd always say this to Barbara, why are they doing that? And then finally, we were there long enough, I knew people who would swim in the dirty water. And I would say, why do you swim in the dirty water when you can be in the clean water? And they would say, well, I'm poor. I'd say, yeah, why don't you get in the clean water? It's free. Yeah, but see, I'm poor. Or I didn't go to school. Or I'm not very smart. I gotta, I'm supposed to be over here. No, you're not. You can be in the clean water. This is what I think about for Christians today, right? Or for people today. You don't have to all swim in the dirty water. Folks are all, or maybe you had, maybe you had lunch with them or dinner with them over the holidays. Maybe they're visiting. I don't know. Maybe you're one of them. Who knows? But this is the point. Don't swim in the dirty water. Swim in the free, clean water of Jesus. He offers that. He gives that to us. Jesus came to bring freedom so we didn't have to be down there in the bad stuff. He came to bring freedom so I don't have to be stuck or tied or bound to something that only leads to death. That was his purpose in why he came. I think about Luke chapter 4, and this in Luke chapter 4, in a sense, Jesus is going public here with who he is in verses 17 through 21. It says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He's standing in the synagogue. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, <coughs> Excuse me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, first of all, this is good news. Jesus came to bring freedom. That was the purpose of his mission, was to bring this freedom so that we don't have to live trapped to the old law or trapped to our, to our habits or whatever it is. That was the good news. But if you know the rest of the passage, you may know what happened. The people got in a big squabble and started fighting with each other that they weren't really ready for it. And they started fighting over if Jesus was who he was or what was Jesus doing. And the next thing you know, everybody's in an uproar. But his purpose was to bring freedom. It is so odd to me that almost every time you talk about freedom, you end up in an uproar. It doesn't seem to make sense, but that's the way it is. You take John three sixteen and 17, a verse some of you have memorized, at least part of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, when you take this word saved, do you realize what he's saying? Jesus came to free us so that we don't have to be bound by the law of, of Moses, so that we don't have to be bound by those things or traditions or bound by our addictions, that we don't have to be bound by that. That's what Jesus was doing all along, was to bring the spiritual freedom that lasts forever. God sent him to liberate us from sin and from death and from all that enslaves. 
See, everything else that is not Jesus ends in death. Everything else, I die. And either I die and I'm no more, and obviously we would believe it's even more than that, that there is hell as well. That's awful. That's awful. And what Jesus said was, I don't want you to be no more. I don't want you to be in hell. I want you to be saved. I want you to be free in me. And so whatever it is, if it's death, if it's sin, if it's all those other things that, that somehow have power over us, he said, I want those things gone. I want you to, to, to push them away because I have given you an outlet and, and, and an opportunity through my death and burial and resu- resurrection. So in John chapter 8, <clears throat> verses 34 through 36, Jesus put it this way. This is so simple and it is so true. He said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Do you understand that idea? Do you know what it's like to be a slave to something that even while we sit here, maybe you've got your phone out and everybody thinks you're looking at BibleGateway.com, but there's pornography on your phone you're looking at, right? You know what I'm saying. Everybody thinks, but you are somehow connected to something that you shouldn't be. You're bound by it. It's on your head. Or, or sometimes I sit on my couch, and on my couch what I'm doing is thinking about what's in the refrigerator. You know what I mean? You're connect. You're be holding on to something is binding you. Not just I'm a little bit hungry, but in the way that it is being obese, or in the way that it's being so focused on alcohol that it takes our mind, or whatever it is that binds us and enslaves us, and that may be different for every person. But whatever that is, Jesus says, I have come to break those barriers so that you can be free and be in me. But freedom is a gift that must be accepted. It must be accepted or we don't have it. But you know what happens whenever you, try, whenever you accept this gift of freedom? Whenever you believe in Jesus and you're baptized into Christ and your sins are washed away. Do you know what's happening all along then and afterwards? You've got a voice in your head. Whether you say that comes from Satan or from yourself or wherever, you've got this voice in your head saying, you're not really free. You're not really free. Jesus didn't wash away your sins. Oh, your sins are way too big for him. No, you're not. You're still, you're still uh, enslaved by those things. You still have chains around you. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Because it gets all of us sometimes. And so we think we're doing really well, and then all at once we start hearing these voices, these self-voices, or whatever you want to call them, and and we're dragged away. And Jesus says, don't become a slave to those things. I've died for you, I've given you freedom, and I've given you a way out. But you've got to accept that freedom that I've given you. In the book of Galatians, a book that's all about legalism and being entrapped, in chapter 5, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, you were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I want you to look at this verse for just a moment. Do you see what happens when you are free in Christ? When you are free, you will be serving other 
people humbly in love. It's not that I was made free so that I can poke God in the eye. It wasn't that I was made free so I can poke somebody else in the eye. I was made free so that I can humbly serve people with love. That's what, I, what it's about. For me to serve God, for me to serve people in his name, that's the purpose of it. Not so I can just do anything I want to now. It's not that idea. I still remember back when I remember my dad telling a story when I was younger. I didn't completely understand what he was talking about, but he was talking about some teenagers that, was, that were about to go out on a Saturday night and have a big party, and they were talking about this on Wednesday night at church, and he was teaching their class, and they said, it won't matter. We'll just go forward on Sunday morning, and we'll ask for forgiveness afterwards. It doesn't matter. That is not the way to use your freedom. Just like it's not, you wouldn't want your spouse doing that. You don't want your kids doing that. You don't want your parents doing that. You don't want to be treated that way. That is abuse of God and and abusing God. It's abusing a relationship. You don't want that. That's not at all the way to use the freedom. Instead, you use the freedom to help other people and to serve other people in the name of Jesus and to honor other people and help them come to know Christ. Free people serve in the name of Jesus rather than gratifying themselves. You know, think about this in a marriage relationship. If you have a husband and wife, and all they do is say, you need to serve me. Hey, you haven't served me. You know, that's very distasteful, right? And and instead of having a solid marriage when one is expecting the other to do everything for them, what you eventually have is not a marriage, you have a divorce, Because it takes both people saying, hey, what can I do? Let me help you. Let me serve you. What is it you want to watch on TV? Maybe it's best that you not watch only baseball, football, basketball, soccer, pickleball, or whatever else comes on ESPN, right? Maybe that's not the best thing for your marriage. Or maybe it's not the best thing to just watch HDTV, whatever it is. Somehow you work together. You work together, serving the other, thinking about the other, serving humbly in that relationship. It's the same way Jesus died for us and and God resurrected him from the grave. And now we serve him in this wonderful relationship that is not like being bound, it's like being in love. That's what God calls us to. That's what God wants. Free people serve in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to always end in a question, or almost always. Now, I'm going to give you a question, but don't, don't start putting up your papers because you're not done yet, okay? But I want to go ahead and give you the question right now. This is the question. Do I live like I'm free? Do I live like I'm free? So, so some of us who are not Christians, we need to put our faith in Jesus. We need to come to him. We need to be baptized into him. And you can be baptized today as soon as I stop talking. Matter of fact, you want to come up right now while while I am talking, I'll stop and baptize you. We'll do that. But you need to be baptized in Jesus. But there are a whole lot of Christians that don't live like they're free in Christ. There are a whole lot of Christians that live like they're trapped like they're bound, like God is one big chain around them. They don't live the way Jesus called us to live. 
So there is a movie that some of you have seen. It's older now. It's called Moneyball, and it's about baseball. What a surprise. I would watch that, right? It's about Billy Bean and how he put together the Oakland A's and made them into to a really good team. He was the one that went from going on a hunch to instead using metrics to figure out in computers how to, how to build a team. He was the guy that did that. Incidentally, that's how the Astros have built their teams now, by taking that example. So in the movie, and it's based on a true story, but in the movie they are looking at tape or video, probably tape in those days, tape of a player who played in the low, low minor leagues. His name was Jeremy Brown. He was a catcher, and he was, played for the Visalia Oaks. It's the lowest minor league probably you can be in. And as they're watching this video, the guy says to Billy Bean, he says, I want you to look at Jeremy Brown. He's a catcher. He weighs 240 pounds, which is pretty big for a baseball player because it means he can't run very fast, okay? He said, he loves first base. And so they said, I want you to watch this video. He will never go for a double. And he certainly would never go for a triple, but he'll never try to run a du- to a, for a double because he's afraid that he's too slow. And we want him to try, but he won't do it. So he just stays on first base. So he said, I want you to see this, uh, this time at bat. And so he gets up to bat, and Jeremy Brown hits the ball, and it's a, it's a good hit, and it's in the air. And Jeremy Brown starts running, and he's running. He comes to first base, and he's going to stop. And then he goes, you know what? I'm going to do something I've never done before. And he turns first base, and he starts for second base. And I mean, he is running, and he's about five steps in. And he goes, oh, no, what have I done? And he falls down and literally crawls back to first base, afraid to do what he had never done before. He looked ridiculous, this big guy crawling on the ground. And he realizes everybody's laughing. His team's laughing. The first baseman for the other team's laughing. Everybody's laughing. He's going, what's so funny? They said, well, you hit a home run. (laughs) (laughs) So he has to get up and then jog around the bases and he, of course, laughs and everybody's laughing and he makes a home run. But the issue was he was afraid to ever pass first base. How many of us in our faith, maybe we have been Christians for a year, for 10 years, for 50 years. I talked to someone today who was telling me about being a Christian for over 75 years. How many of us have been a Christian for years, but we are so afraid to use any of our freedom in Christ? And instead of using our freedom in Christ, what we do is crawl backwards to first base sometimes. Instead of going forward, instead of being free, we go backwards Now I want to let you in on something else too. I didn't and you didn't hit the home run. Jesus hit the home run. He hit it now. He says, you run the bases for me. You do that for me. I'm afraid, Lord. I'm afraid. What are you talking about? It's already out of the park. I've been resurrected from the dead. Go, run, enjoy, score. It's wonderful. That's what he called us to. That is freedom in Christ. When I am free in Christ and I love Christ and I am ready to do whatever for him, I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed. I just run, run for him because he has paid the price. He has scored the home run, the touchdown, the goal, whatever you want to call it. He has done that. And now we are free. Free, true freedom. Not even freedom that comes through, a, through, through the government. 
but I mean freedom that comes from now an empty cross and through an empty grave. We are free. If you need to be baptized into Christ, if you need help, if you need strength and encouragement to live freely, come as we stand and sing.